but in the future world, I actually get shivers watching that part, and the song that's on yeah, just fills me with warm fuzzies. There was a podcast called the Sequel Cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. The Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. This is Uncle Milkshake. This is a, a podcast where every episode we review a movie and a franchise one film at a time. We are currently starting a, a new set of films with the uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, series. Bill and Ted series, I guess. Uh, we're going to start with uh, this episode, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. With me is Thrasher. Howdy. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Howdy. And Linda Kay, who runs a website called Bill and Ted's Excellent Online Adventure. It covers every Bill and Ted fact you could imagine from the different series to the movies. What Keanu Reeves is up to at this very moment. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Greetings, most excellent friends. Thank you. Uh, so I, th- I figure before we get started talking about the film or the series, what was your first exposure to uh, Bill and Ted? Well, actually, I saw the first movie when it came out. Actually, I saw the previews for the first movie before it came out. Those ran for like a year or so, well before the movie ever came out. And actually, when the movie finally did come out in February of 1989, I remember remarking to a friend of mine, didn't this come out like a long time ago? And she said, no. And I said, oh, well, I've been wanting to see it. So. Uh, well, actually, we talked about that a little bit. Because the company that was supposed to have brought it out in 87, correct? Yes, they it, it was originally supposed to be De Laurentiis Group, Dino De Laurentiis. But they went bankrupt. They went bankrupt. They were hoping, in fact, they were hoping that Bill and Ted was going to be their solvency. And Ouch. they had hoped for a December 1987 release because the film was, was shot like in February 1987 through April or May. And they said, we got to get it out by Christmas. So they were rushing it, trying to get it finished, and the uh, company went, <laughs> went bankrupt. They were basically selling the equipment out from under them. Wow, wow. and like the De Laurentiis group, they did so many things like uh, the Conan the Barbarian films. But, uh, you know, one film they did in the mid-80s that was a huge financial disaster for them was David Lynch's take on Dune. Ah, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although I will admit, that film does hold a special place in my heart. I do enjoy the director's cut. I can't imagine Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as a Christmas movie. It feels so much more like a summer movie. Yeah. Yes, it, but it actually came out in the spring, which is the funny... It actually, <laughs> actually came out in the winter, February of wow. 1989. So after De Laurentiis went out of business, it was looking like it was going to be a straight-to-video affair. They thought HBO actually offered to buy the film and run it on their cable station. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so, I mean, Alex Winter has said several times since that we thought we would just be picking it up in the 99-cent bin at the bargain video store, and nobody would ever see it. And at the last minute, uh, Nelson Entertainment and Orion Pictures picked it up. I can't imagine that, because I remember seeing this in the theater as well 
I thought it was the funniest thing. How old? I would have been like eight or seven. <laughs> I would have been oh seven. my god! Yeah. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. I thought it was so cool. I really liked their take on history, and I really liked the two characters. And this is before I knew I actually knew anything about Keanu Reeves. This is like the first thing I ever saw him and Alice Winters in. <laughs> before I well, knew you know, when this was. Well, when this came out on video from oh gosh, I think from like from 1990 to 1995, this was my like family's favorite. Let's have fun and watch a movie family film. And I don't just mean myself, my sister, my brother, my parents. I mean the whole extended family. We like when we we have watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure at family reunions because for whatever reason we just got such a big kick out of it. Everybody enjoyed it. Yeah, and I was 25 when the movie came out, so I saw it in my mid 20s and and loved it and thought it was absolutely hilarious and charming. So it, it really did. I think that's what took everybody by surprise. They really thought this was going to be a movie specifically for kids and teens. But, you know, adults really picked up on the friendship between Bill and Ted because this movie has a lot of heart. It isn't just another dumb teen comedy. No, it's a lot more sophisticated than one might think. Uh, when I first experienced this movie, I, I did not live in the United States for the entirety of the 80s, but I, I was around you know, like seven or eight, or I was, I was like in third grade when I got to see the movie on video, but before that, my only exposure to Bill and Ted was through a uh, Nintendo Power magazine talking about the video game. Oh my, So, yeah. all my only exposure was through photographs of scenes from the movie, but I had no idea what this movie was, and I saw it and really enjoyed it, and I think when I was in, uh, like, fourth grade, there was a talent show, and me and a friend were Bill and Ted in some stupid skit for this talent show, and, and we lost, but before we went on stage, you know, we didn't win any prizes, but before we went on stage, the whole crowd was cheering, Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted, and it was such a monumentous build-up to a whatever awful uh, comedy skit we did. I think it was something about Bill and Ted meeting a, a takeoff on Darth Vader called Dark Chocolate. Um. <laughs> Actually, Uncle Milkshake, it's, it's funny that you're talking about that, because the original idea... For Bill and Ted came from a sketch that the two yeah, writers an improv comedy thing. Yeah, they used to do improv as the characters hmm, talked really? about current events which were either excellent or bogus. So I ran contra, bogus. <laughs> I, th I just <laughs> think that's I think that's kind of cool. That's exactly right because Ed, Ed Solomon and Chris Mathis and the writers were going to UCLA together and they had become friends and they were in this comedy group, just like five people that rented out a little theater in Los Angeles and did improv. And Bill and Ted came out of that. It was just basically two dumb guys, or actually originally it was three dumb guys sitting around talking about current events that they had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah wasn't like the, 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 like it was like Bill and Ted and Bob or in, in like the yeah. stage version? Yeah, See, it was Thrasher, Bill and Ted and Bob. Thrasher, you, me, and Uncle Milkshake need to travel back in time to uh, Los Angeles in the 1980s and get our improv group together. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the one in the loud shirt. <laughs> uh, I'll be the one ripping off um, Robin Williams. Funny voices, yes. 
Ugh. That would take a lot of energy to rip off Robin Williams. Oh, yes, fantastic. What are we going to do with Nintendo? Oh, I've never met Nintendo! But let's let me invent Bill and Ted before it Chris and, and reap the many rewards, which I don't think have been that fantastic for them because they signed away the rights. <laughs> I do have to say, with if you like the Bill and Ted movies, they haven't been much as far as a DVD release, but a few years back they released a box set that had an exclusive third disc that had interviews with the uh, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, the writers of the films. Yes. And that's... That um, was an excellent... I mean, the releases of the films themselves have been terrible because there's been no extras, no missing scenes. Right. We'll get into all that later, but... Um, the DVD yeah, I've got just because of trailer. very, very cool. But I gotta, I gotta thank your website. Um, I, I've been on it uh, since we decided to do this. And it's really cool that you have the photo gallery of some of those um, scenes that were cut out of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I especially like the one with the alternate way that they did the ending. But I have to say I do like the ending of the movie way better than the way that, it, that it's presented. I... Yeah, the dynamic of doing it in a classroom. I mean, when they kind of came up with the whole ending, which was a last-minute thing. I mean, they wrote the script in three days. <laughs> You know, threw it together, really. They said it was the fastest thing they'd ever written because it just came together. All, it was so easy and so bizarre that it was so simple to write. But uh, when they came up with the, the last-minute idea that Bill and Ted were actually not just going to be these guys who go back in time and do all this, but they're actually were going to have a very important future, that they were going to actually change the universe, <laughs> which was a very hard sell to the studios because they did not understand that. They thought... That's weird. How does that happen? You go, well, you're not supposed to know how it happens. It just happens, and you accept it. But, uh, yeah, that ending that they had in the class, basically what he's talking about is in the classroom scene, uh, the, the, that was where the final report was supposed to take place, was they were just all going to be in the classroom. The other students were going to be dressed as <coughs> historical figures for their presentations, and in come Bill and Ted with their historical figures. But something about doing it in the auditorium on a stage as a big production again they're rock and roll they're 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 rocker kids they like heavy metal shows and that kind of shows in their performance yeah they're foreshadowing their rock and roll destiny ah very true actually uh, with them holding the cigarette lighters up at the end i mean wanting more and then all of a sudden because they cut out a lot of stuff between them and the cool kids because originally the cool kids were supposed to constantly put them down and they were supposed to be stupid but they kind of left a lot of that on the cutting room floor which I think was a good idea because it didn't really fit and they didn't need it but at the end the cool even the cool kids are saying these guys are excellent <laughs> well one of the things that I thought I actually I kind of made this connection with um, Fast Times at Ridgemount High they're kind of like Spicoli except without the weed they're not exactly popular, and the kids who know that they're going to go places wouldn't associate themselves with these guys. Because right. they're set off in their own little world, really, of just them and their rock and roll dreams. Well, and when was Wayne's World as a sketch on SNL? It was actually right around the same time. Really? I've, I've okay. tried to go, because they've always said, well, who ripped off who? And actually, as far as I can tell in the history of it, they both developed their characters separately at the same time in different places in different ways and neither was inspired by the other so i think they're very different yet they're the same kind of like i guess not social rejects but they're still the kind of slackers 
that I guess parents yeah. wouldn't want their kids to be. Well, I mean, I, I'll say, like, he, he, I, mean, I was, I was a, a child, you know, in the 80s when this film was made, but I did know people like that. I knew the people yeah. who would tie the jackets around their hips and go, oh, way, no, and, and, <laughs> and such. These, this is a, a type that existed at the time. Yes, it was very much in the culture. I think since the, the valley attitude, the valley girl and that sort of thing. But I think that's any saw in films right. at the time. Yeah, as Ed and Chris explained, they really aren't, they're not stoners, they're not surfers. I mean, they're in San Dimas, California. There's no beach, there's no, there's really nothing there. So their language is sort of all their own. Well, isn't San Dimas like... a language that Wayne and Garth do not use. (coughs) Is there a real San Dimas? There's a San Dimas, yes, it's about 30 miles east of Los Angeles. Okay. Is out in the middle trying, of nowhere. I'm I guess that and Chris said they used to drive out to Las Vegas and they'd pass San Dimas and they felt, oh, this town's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but the actual filming was done in Arizona, correct? Yes, that's right. Right around. I was the I gonna say, Hill. like, it looks like a nowhere town, but it has that. Everything that I watch, it feels like it's oppressively hot wherever they made this movie. Mm-hmm. It just oh, yeah. up the sky and just the feeling, and maybe some of the camera. I guess effects, whatever. Just it, it, everything felt very hot. Well, back to the movie. Let's get the opening credits of this movie are very weird. You see this almost <laughs> phallic crystal piercing a tiny opening and transforming into a, a phone booth. The future no, chicken no, no. lays egg. The, the transformation doesn't come till later. I mean, what we see is this weird, like fortress of solitude chamber. <laughs> the top opens and the crystal comes down. All set. Uh, all set to the... You know, let me see if I can find that soundtrack listing. Uh, all set to I Can't Break Away by the band Big Pig. And, like, <laughs> I I love... I love this intro, because... Uh-oh. You're breaking out, Thrasher. You're breaking out. Compared to the Forces of Solitude, it reminds me of the scenes on Krypton in... in Hello? Uh, the, yeah, he breaks up, and then he disconnects. Let me that add him on again. This happens just, with using the uh, Skype. He's going to say something so profound, too. I know, probably. Something about <laughs> Superman's uh, Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> <laughs> and he means he's talking about the big dome with the little triangles that they have well, to paste on one by one. One of the things that I, I think that I agree with him is this movie has some great music. I mean, and there's not, just... And not it. well-known bands. Unlike the second film. Exactly. Mm. Except for Power yeah. Tool, which is in reality, I don't know if you guys know who Power Tool actually is. No. Nelson? <laughs> yep. Wait, was Nelson the two blonde guys? Yep. Oh my god, yes. They had a video with an Indian in it. That's about all I know. <laughs> and they come alive off a poster. That's all I know about Nelson. Yeah, that's power tool. Okay. But yeah, it's like, in the future, they seem to listen to 80s music from hair bands. And I'm guessing because the Wild Stallions are based off people like Van Halen and bands like that, that their music would be like that. But a lot of their stuff is very power ballads. So there's the idea that maybe they'll change the future with power ballads? (laughs) I I don't know. But actually, it's funny, because when they arrive in the future world, 
we'll edit this together so it makes some kind of sense. But in the future world, I actually get shivers watching that part, and the song that's on yeah. just in fills time. me with warm fuzzies. Robbie Rob's in time. I, I probably get asked about that song more than anything else. Oh uh, man! I, I remember I had a, a very dear friend of mine, uh, a male friend, come over and watch the movie one time. He actually cried during that. Oh scene. wow! Hmm. During which very sequence? Powerful scene. It, it is. When it's they're in the future world. Oh yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And just when that. They all come out and do the air guitar. Oh like yeah, the one piece. They've had on. On the future, that yeah, it's a, that's be excellent really to one another. How and party on? Oh God, it's it's it makes <laughs> you. I guess the future is based off off of hero worship, but perhaps these guys through their rock and roll will change society with just this hopeful, peaceful message of being excellent to each other. Well, isn't that like every? Isn't that every religion and moral philosophy boiled down to its core is simply the phrase "be excellent to each other, do unto others as you would have them do unto you." <laughs> I will really, be excellent I mean, to really, you. Really be excellent to me, and I will be excellent to you, and I will be excellent to you. Hoping but it's for more. This. But it's more than that. It's just to be excellent, to exemplify excellence. Yes, to each other. It, 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 you know, Bill, it really a lot of people do take that as sort of a not a religion but a philosophy that they really embrace, which is wonderful because it is. It's a very nice movie. These are nice people doing nice things, and nobody's really being nasty to each other except the ugly royal dudes. Uncle Milkshake, should we talk about what this actually? We've talked about the future and the yeah. past and how. Cause should we talk about why this movie happens? Okay. Um, Give a short synopsis at the beginning, at least. <laughs> sure. So, very briefly, Bill and Ted are students at San Dimas High, and they're they love to rock and roll, love to hang around with each other, but don't really aren't very good academically. Or they're not very talented musically, from what we see <laughs> no, in the film as well. But they they think they well, maybe they don't even think they are. But that's another story. Well, they, they're not judging themselves by the quality of their music. It's it's about rock and roll. And uh, they just know they need to get Eddie Van Halen. I mean, yeah. They oh have God. The most triumphant video. <laughs> or band shirts. Or band shirts. Band shirts. I think that that was only in the script. I don't think that made it into the movie. No, it doesn't. Although I do like the hand-drawn Wild Stallion shirt that uh, Ted wear or that Bill wears. <laughs> yeah, Wild Stallions being the name of their band. Wild Stallions with the Y. I want that shirt. Okay. So let me try to give a synopsis of this movie really quick. Um, so Ted's about to fail his history class, and if he fails, his dad is going to send him to military school in Alaska. And yet they are trying to study for this history presentation they have to give, where the concept is, what would different characters from history think about San Dimas of the mid 1980s, which is a pretty absurd concept for a final. <laughs> you did go to college, didn't you, Uncle Milkshake? I had finals like that all the time. Uh, it did go to college, but I don't think that I had anything. Too creative for wait, 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 Thrasher. <laughs> whoever, wait, in your at college, who gave you that as a report <laughs> question? Well, well, not that's okay. Do you want a story? <laughs> yes. Uh, 
Okay, this this wasn't exact. Okay, this this wasn't literally what would a historical figure think of our town. Um, in a composition class, one of the books we read was this. We read a wide variety of things, and that included reading a self-help book. And one of the self-help books we read was the Twenty Eight Laws of Laws to Power. Um, uh, without going to, without going into too much detail, when it came time to do our f- final presentation—not our presentation, but our final papers for the year—we were given we were given three choices. One was sort of like you know to to dissect the philosophical themes of one of the books we had written. Another was to uh, was to like sort of extrapolate a credible sequel or follow up or spin off of something we had read. And then the third one was to design a civilization in which the only holy text was the 28 Laws to Power. And that's what I did. Your college exam was to do Sims? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, we should have discussed that when we that's did Planet bogus. of the Apes. Yeah. Totally bogus. Jeez. Let's talk um, So back, why, back to the movie. They have to go. They find... Um, Rufus is this guy that comes from the future that goes back in time. Played by the wonderful George Carlin. Can we talk about oh, him? Yes. yes. Oh, he's great. He's very good. Bless you, George Carlin. I, I love how kind of mellow he is throughout this whole movie. He never goes blue. I mean, this movie was rated PG. It did use the word dickweed. Very safe movie. <laughs> but he he could do safe. He was the uh, conductor on... Um, Shining Time Station. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, he could do clean. He's a good actor. But in this, he just, like, he's so wonderful because he's a guiding presence. He has a certain maturity that we see, and he's got his, he's got his hair tied back in a ponytail, which I guess is cool. Well, he's, he, he gives a very subtle performance in this movie. And he's very, as you said, he's very mellow. Compared to Bill and Ted, they're like, dude, 69! And Six, and it yeah. helps plays off against those uh, other characters. And uh, George Carlin, I think he he described Rufus as he was supposed to be like the very definition of elapsed everything elapsed rock and roll coolness. Hmm. So he was supposed to be immediately identifiable as being a totally cool dude. I think he pulled that off just because he was George Carlin. He's like, oh my god, how cool! In <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like D- David Byrne jacket he's got on. <laughs> oh yeah, the fashion, the fashion of the future, is great. Except for when the people come out, I I don't like their Logan's Run esque pajamas. I don't. I don't and they're so gray. They're so. In the first movie, the dome heads, what they called them during production, because they were in the futuristic dome. Uh, their clothing was so kind of bland. Perhaps it's because they're scientists. And that clothing protects them from the time radiation. Well, that could be. Well, if they're supposed to be science outfits, then they're pretty cool. Absolutely. For the future, yeah. And, and well, what is in the, the future? Let's talk about well, that a little bit. Well, in the future, maybe fashion technology took a back seat to music and time travel technology. No, because look at the fashion they have in the second movie. It's like way over the Ooh. top foaming things that I want to build and wear at a con. Oh, I would like to burn them. <laughs> I, oh my God, the just... neon, I love the neon effects in that. But oh, and the shoes! Like hey, the you two, people. save that for the next podcast. Or 
We're not talking about... <laughs> that, that's a whole discussion in and of itself. <laughs> yes. Please tell me you'll be on for the next one as well. Oh, absolutely, if you'll have me. Oh, yeah, sure. There's so much to talk about Bogus Journey as well. Bogus Journey is such... We'll get more to that when we do that episode, but Bogus Journey is such an interesting sequel. You could have easily had a sequel where Bill and Ted go back in time again to collect more historical dudes. Yeah. And but then you instead you do something totally different and even <laughs> as a nine-year-old I thought it was very weird so I haven't seen it since then I'll be looking forward to seeing it for uh, the next episode so yeah so this guy this time traveler from the future comes back to help Bill and Ted pass their history final it's very important that they pass it so that they're not split up so in the future they can become world-famous rock stars whose music will transform human civilization and that's something I love. It's such like a 1980s thing, like Pat Oswalt points out, that you could rock so hard, you could change the, the physical properties of things, and that in this movie, like, Bill and Ted will one day rock so hard, they will change the world. That is such a, a 1980s rock concept. I love it. But it's important they stay together, or else those dreams will fail, and the future will fail. And I guess this is the, 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 the actual marking spot in history where it's so important for them to, to succeed that they have to send somebody back in time, like the Terminator, to help them along. But in truth, he doesn't really guide them as much as he just gives them a time machine. And tells <laughs> yeah, them, says have and the circuits of history directory. Yes. And they trust them to do, to do what they need to do, which is very interesting. And originally, uh, it wasn't a phone booth. It was going to be a van that Rufus would drive. When Warner Brothers was, was thinking about doing the movie, they, they talked them into changing that because it was too much like Back to the Future. That's true. That's true. And with Back so to the they f- ripped off Doctor Who instead. Wait, yeah. but Uncle Milkshake, <laughs> Uncle Milkshake, would you trust a guy with a van who tells you if you get in the back, it's a <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was gonna say the world was more innocent back then. Yeah, I, I was gonna say the the weird thing is with Back to the Future, the original concept in that movie wasn't that it was a car; it was going to be you climb into a refrigerator and it teleports you through oh, time. God. And then they, I'm not making this up. And then they were afraid that little kids would climb into refrigerators to try and go through time. Um, oh, and they nice. changed it to a car. So that encourages kids to speed at any five miles per hour. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, but yeah, watching this, I was thinking... room in a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just thinking, like, what... Watching this movie, you look at... You don't really see a phone booth that much anymore, except at a gas station. Right. Yeah, that's one thing is, it's like, there's, really, there's no explanation given for why the time machine is made to look like a phone booth. Because even when it's in the present day, it still looks out of place. Well, that's not true. Back then, no. they would, back in the 80s, they would have those around. In the middle of That's people's right. front yards? What? No. Okay, you're right there. Yeah, like, the phone booth is never in a place where you would normally find a phone booth. In the middle of the Circle K parking lot. Yeah. Or an ancient <laughs> And Circle K is a real... They have to something. Yeah, Circle K is a real place. It's a real place, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a franchise. Did we have those in Savannah? I don't believe we did. I thought we had a Circle K by the uh, Pancake Palace. We might. Oh, have. oh, was it that place by the? I'm trying to remember if that was or not. 
But the thing is, they I guess in the eighties they were more of a, a western thing. They were all in the California and along the west coast, or at least in Arizona. Mm. Oh, that's true. Yeah. In the Circle K. Yeah. Oh, we still have Circle K. Oh yeah, they're still oh, around. They're all over here. Yeah, they're all oh. around. I think they wanted to use Seven Eleven, but they they wouldn't let them use the rice, so they went with Circle K. Wow, they missed out on a gold machine. <laughs> I mean, and what? That's the most iconic line of the movie, right? I'll let you guys say it. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. There you go. That is that actually. That's the cool thing about this movie. There are these great lines. It's not quotable like Caddyshack. But there are just some great lines that just are very powerful and really well done by the great actor, Keanu Reeves. And Alex Winter. And Alex Winter. I think this is one of Keanu Reeves' best performances, honestly. He... Really? I love him in Dracula. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's... I can't even with a straight face. Was cool in Dracula. Yeah, he's... I don't know Nobody could ever hear or see him without thinking of him as being Ted. And I, for years afterwards, and I'm a huge fan of Keanu's work, because um, I'd seen him before X1 Adventure and things like Permanent Record and River's Edge. And afterwards, every time I would go to a movie, even Dracula, people would say, well, he's just playing Ted. I don't, I don't see, I'm sorry, I don't see Ted anywhere in Jonathan Harker. I don't. <laughs> he's not there. <laughs> That's I'm sorry, but it, his that. accent in that movie is awful. <laughs> well, the accent, that's a whole other thing. But it wasn't Ted. <laughs> no, I mean, Keanu Reeves I, I, has given a lot of different performances, but I find a lot of his more modern stuff, he just, or at least the characters he plays, are so stiff. You don't see a chance to get him to sort of... I, I wish you would do more comedies, I guess is what like I'm trying to say. You like in the last five to ten years? yeah. I haven't really, I mean, you're right. I think after The Matrix, yeah, I haven't really even seen that many of Keanu's movies. So look how much <laughs> look how much energy he has in these movies. He's an awesome actor in these, and he's so light, and he's, like, very young, and he plays it so well. Well, that's something that a lot of people don't recognize. Keanu Reeves can act, but I, I've, I've noticed, at least in the, the films I've Scene. There's only you can strangle one out of them, which is what it appears they did in Dangerous Liaisons, and I really do enjoy his performance in that film. Or you can just let him have fun, which is clearly what he's doing in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You know, when he's just allowed to have fun, he can play this great, youthful, and exuberant character. I like Point Break. I'm just gonna say that right off the bat. I love his acting in that, and I like him in Speed. Yeah. He does action very well, but yeah, everything I've seen him in lately, he's stiff as a board. Yeah, I, I my argument back then when people would say Keanu couldn't act is I'm like, why do directors like Bertolucci and Coppola and Van Sant and all these people even cast him in their movies if he can't act? That's a ridiculous argument. I mean, no, Keanu Reeves is a very brilliant actor. I don't know about the recent movies because I haven't seen a lot that he's been in, but mostly because the movies themselves haven't interested me, not because of Keanu. If Keanu's in something that interests me, I'll see it in a minute because mm. he's fabulous. And he's one of the nicest guys in Hollywood, I'll tell you that much. Interesting. And that's not to take anything away from Alex Winter as Bill S. Preston. Oh, he's marvelous. He's very, very good, and uh, just the chemistry between the two of them makes the friendship seem really genuine. 
And if they had miscast Bill and Ted in this movie, mm-hmm. the whole thing wouldn't have worked. It all centers on that friendship. That's well, right. wasn't there something about them being each other? What's what's the story behind that? Yeah, when when they uh, they went into audition, they actually auditioned a hundred people, <laughs> young men, to to do the parts, and they narrowed it down to about twenty five. And Alex and Keanu were among the twenty five, and they would bring them together to sort of you know check the chemistry between the different actors. So Keanu and Alex got in the room together once, once, and they'd go out and they'd come back in and. And uh, they knew right away that, that Alex and Keanu had a real rapport because every time they went back out to the waiting room, they would be sitting there talking to each other. So they must they hit it off right away. They'd never met before the auditions, and they just something clicked, and it was it was just perfect. But originally, yes, uh, Alex was cast to play Ted, and Keanu was cast to play Bill. Although a lot of people say that their characters aren't really there's no difference, and even Ed and Chris. Have, said when they were writing the scripts they'd often just throw out lines and then put a name above them like okay we'll start that with bill ted bill ted (laughs) no no i think there's a difference in their characters it's very subtle it is there well no there is because because you know uh ted 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 is sort of the the lothario he's the romantic soul but bill is bill is the intellectual and you can tell that because he's able to fix the time machine later in the film yes and i think bill is a little more cynical than ted but just, I mean, they're both so sweet and so nice that you can barely detect that. But I think he's got a little more of an edge to him than Ted does. Ted's just all love and, and sweetness and puppy dogs and everything. I terrible. think, though, that Ted is very tragic because yeah. of what his father is going to do. And there's a lot more stress, I think, put on Ted because his father is the police chief. It's also very tragic with Bill how he has to deal with his father and hot young stepmom having sex on his bed while he's not there. Oh god, Missy. Oh. oh, yes. oh yeah. Can we can we talk about uh, Amy Stockpointon? Oh, um, no. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, uh, that that's all I have. I'm sorry, that's that's all I have. <laughs> How old were you when you saw the movie? Um, I was seven. I was, I was about that, seven. That's when you became oh, okay. a man. <laughs> no, I mean, come on. I mean, uh, the whole thing about her being really only three years older than the Bill, um, yeah, than Bill, because <laughs> she was a senior when they were both freshmen. And what is her father's? What is his father's job? You know, I I always figured the father was like a was like a, a psychiatrist. Because I know they, yeah, he does show up as something in the second movie. He does have a job in the second movie, and I he's part like, of a wreck in the second movie. <laughs> Hmm. For the, all well, two seconds Missy left. Left. Yeah. They never, they've never said what, what Bill's father was, but I assume by the way he dressed, yeah, a psychiatrist or a college professor? You know, I could see him as a college professor easily. I was thinking he was a teacher, which is also one of the weirder reasons that he's with Missy. Um, yeah. yeah. But the, Ted's, Ted's father is a cop. They make that pretty clear. This scene. I, I, like, talk- I like your idea of, of uh, Bill's dad being a psychiatrist because then that would explain how Bill knew what an Oedipal complex was. Quite possibly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you I have think- to make everything make sense, which is hard in these movies. But well, that's the thing I like about these movies that, that like everything does in its own way make sense. Like you know about t- uh, Ted's father; he's not just a police officer; he's a police officer who's lost his keys, and he's very vocal about it. And that yeah. turns out to be a key plot point later on. That's right. A key plot point. Oh, oh. 
<laughs> you know what? That pun was excellent. <laughs> Oh, air guitar! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, That's something else I we, like. That's a great sound effect. Can we take a little bit to talk about um, a history lesson? Sure. Um, this mean? movie and its actual use of historical figures, which they have mm. to time travel and get. I thought it's very interesting which ones they chose. Is there any? Do you know any background information why they chose these? Uh, if they only wrote it in three days. Why do they choose these people? I believe it was well, who they could make jokes about. Um, Billy the Kid? Socrates? Socrates was a... Um, oh, Socrates. philosopher? Socrates was a, was a philosopher, but he was called the... Oh, God, what the was Socratic he called? The Method? No, he wasn't the called the Method. He was called the something of youth. Um, disruptor. Corruptor of oh. youth. The Corrupter yeah. of Youth. Corrupter of Youth, yes. And I think that's so interesting that they go to him, but they wind up finding him because, I, I don't know, there's just something very interesting. Because if that is true, that's a more interesting first person for them to have picked than, say, Plato or Aristotle. Well, well they have the well, guidelines from the paper, that they, or from the presentation they have to do. They have to pick people from different time periods. Yeah, but they don't pick Marie Antoinette. They don't pick the people that other people are picking. I, I think I know why. I, I think this is thematically important. You know, B- Bill and Ted's music will revolutionize the world, and everyone they go to, with the possible exception of Billy the Kid, is a revolutionary. Socrates revolutionized thought. Uh, Joan of Arc was a revolutionary hero as as both uh, who would become a saint and who was also a great female military leader. That's revolutionary. Genghis Khan, who led his people to power in Asia, that is revolutionary. Abraham Lincoln saw this nation through the what is quite possibly the worst crisis it ever faced. He and, and changed the course of history. He, in a way, is revolutionary. They are all revolutionary figures. You could even say that about Beethoven. Yeah, oh, yes, and yes. Freud, who revolutionized um, and therapy, and even Napoleon, who actually was very good, he made a lot of social changes, including the uh, emancipation of Jews. I'm not sure if I'm using the right word. Did he stop the persecution of Jews in France, which was revolutionary for the time because everybody wanted to get them out of their countries. And I think it's also very interesting. We see Napoleon in this is kind of a comedic figure and he's also very short in this movie whereas the real Napoleon was actually 5'6". Well actually that's something I like. I like how short Napoleon, Joan of Arc, and Genghis Khan are because people in the past were shorter than the people of today. They didn't have the medicine we have, they didn't have the diets we have. People in the past tended to be short and I love that these these historical figures have what is probably a very accurate height. Wait, really? Yeah, you. Uh, I I don't know how to answer that. You really think that everybody was shorter in the past? Have you ever seen an actual suit of armor from the Middle Ages? Yes. It looks like it's made for a child. They don't. Everybody back in time were midgets. No, not, that's all. You guys Some are giving Eddie Smith a lot of credit here. The, um, the, in originally, in the script, they, they originally had people like Caesar and Amelia Earhart. And I, 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 real, I, I love this theory. It, it, it makes a lot of sense, and it sounds great, but 
I really think a lot of it was just what they could make good jokes around. Quite true. And tie into the future, especially. Genghis Khan being a savage who would mercifully attack a storm mannequin with a bat. <laughs> Only when he's on Twinkies. Oh, can we talk about the mall? Before we get to the mall, I want to mention um, Abraham Lincoln. You and I, before the show, we mentioned yes. that there was a uh, there's a scene in the medieval times where Ted is thought to be dead, and then Bill finds out that Ted didn't really die. He just rolled they're out both, of the way. They're both fighting in suits of armor because they're trying to blend in. Yep. And they're yeah. quoting Star Wars. Thanks, quoting Star Wars. And basically beating each other with swords because they're in suits of armor. I think that's funny. And then he rolls down the steps. Yeah, Ted falls down the stairs. And then he's skewered by a a guardsman who's looking for these intruders. Well, well, Bill runs down the stairs and sees the suit of armor being stabbed by guards. But, of course, we see him then become, of course, enraged and actually forcefully attack the guard really well. And defend himself until he's he's uh, made prostate. He's thrown to the ground, um, trips and such. And then of course Ted comes and uh, knocks the bad uh, knocks the guardsman in the head with a ham hock. <laughs> and after I all, have... oh, go ahead. because he rolled out of the he rolled Wait, out of arm. You don't he fell out of it when he hit the bottom of the stairs, which is physically impossible. But I love I, it. I have such a love hate relationship with that scene because. It is the most poignant hurt comfort scene in the entire movie, where you really see how Bill feels about Ted. And yet it's got this totally implausible physical thing that I remember after I saw the movie that it's the one thing I kept telling everybody, that is the dumbest scene I've ever seen in my life, that he would have fallen out of his suit when he hit the floor. But it's somehow it's, it's so funny it works. But I have an interesting story about that. In that one time I went over to Ed Solomon's house and he showed me some of his, if you've seen the, um, the special box, uh, collector's disc in the box set of, of the thing where they have his script variations on the yellow lined paper, he actually showed me those and I saw his original notes for that scene and it was like two full pages of dialogue with Bill talking to Ted about how much he meant to him and how how horrified he was that Ted was dead. Aww. The fact that he was able to narrow that down to don't be dead, dude, was <laughs> just, I thought, I mean, that, that made that scene. You know, I couldn't imagine him sitting there saying all this stuff, but just to say, oh, Ted, don't be dead, dude. Perfect. I mean, that's, yeah, because, again, that definitely encapsulates the... Um... The intelligence and the heartfelt poetry of these of these two, um, but yeah, they embrace, and then there's the. Do you want to go for it, milkshake? Well, they sort of say they say fags. Yeah, they they like they like hug. And they're so happy to see each other. Then they like quickly break off, look at each other, look each other up and down, fag. But then immediately like go, dude, you kicked that guy's butt, dude. You beat him. I don't know. It just it kind of stands out at me now. It didn't stand out then, but I guess I'm like. Ugh. Because I'm an ally, and I'm like, the use of the word like that, it's just manly bonding, it's nothing gay, it just, it kind of breaks it for me. Yeah, but in high school, you thought like that. I think it, I think it, the word wasn't as charged back then, but it really, I think that's what these two guys would say. I would say, I've never, I've never had anyone ever 
come out and say that they were appalled or or disgusted by the use of the word in the movie. In fact, I even read one book that was all about gays in movies, talking about how that was such a normal hetero guy reaction that was genuine but not mean. It was just the way guys. It wasn't the, It wasn't done. It's not offense. It's not offensive that way. Actually, it's interesting you bring that up because I think the use of the word in in the second movie, which we'll talk about later, but it bears mentioning now, when Ted calls the devil a fag, I find that way more offensive. And I'm actually kind of surprised that made the movie because I was like, well, now wait a minute, that's getting mm. a little strange, you know? Because right. yeah, there isn't really any strong language in the movies. It's no, like, but you know when they, when they run it on syndicated television, they take fag out and they say, fool. Then they're suddenly really stupid. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> did they replace dickweed with anything? Uh, <laughs> I think they did. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, I think they Dinkwad. Also, they also, when Ted's leaving, when they're leaving Bill's bedroom, instead of saying, now your dad's going for it in his own room, it's like, uh, now you've been kicked out of your own room. <laughs> wait, wait, they, they replaced going at it? They thought going at it was too hot for TV? Yes. Oh. Any overtly suggestive nature words, yeah. But it can't be suggestive and overt unless it's a body 1970s hospital. The worst I've seen something censored on TV is uh, in the late 90s, once on the Fox channel, they showed Pulp Fiction at like 10 p.m. at night mm. and they censored that so much and it was so funny but they only did it once and never showed it on TV again yeah there wouldn't be much point would there? no <laughs> <laughs> no it is great and I've had people come to me and say is this movie okay for kids I'm like yes and then but you know these things have been censored out on television so I guess it's I guess it's just your own opinion I don't find anything offensive. I think they, they, they barely say the SH word when they're making that big loop in the circuits of time. Sort of sounds like they're saying that, but... <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, I love the way time travel looks in this movie. You know, the phone booth gets all sparky, like a hole opens up underneath it, hands made of lightning grab the phone booth, and then it, like, shoots through tubes of energy and then falls out of the sky in, in the time and place they, they programmed I love the look of that. I get a thrill every time I see it. That's so true. And I'll tell you, I, this is one of the funniest things, too, is I, I was friends with somebody, because I was doing the Bill and Ted fan club back then, and I knew the guy was doing the Back to the Future fan club. And I remember somebody had written an article for the newsletter for the Back to the Future club talking of, in great scientific detail about how the flux capacitor actually works. And it was this long, lengthy dissertation. And I was saying, he was saying, yeah, well, you know, this could happen. And I was thinking, we couldn't do that in our newsletter because basically it would be like, how does this work? Modern technology. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's something I find so charming about this movie. It's a time travel movie, but with absolutely no pretension. And no time is wasted explaining how things work. You just type in a number from the phone book and off you go. And, right. and, and, you know, the, the closest they come to even addressing the issues of time travel uh, uh, towards the end when the key thing gets resolved, which we'll go into later, but, you know, when when they arrive in medieval times and uh, as a, 
you know, well, Billy the Kid, you are certainly dealing with the oddity of time travel in a most spectacular <laughs> way, with most spectacular ease. That, that, that is a great line. Yeah. You are dealing with the oddity of time travel with the greatest of ease. And, and yeah. they, re- they really respected the time periods. I think the fact that they had everybody speaking in their own language, instead of having everybody suddenly speaking English. Okay, here's my problem with that. Here's my problem with that. It's the future. You have a time machine, but you don't have a universal translator. Well, it's not the TARDIS. It doesn't have that telepathic energy field to translate. <laughs> okay, but people have iPods, or have, have iPhones now, that you can translate any language you hear, and then it writes it out in English. But do you notice that in Bogus Journey, when, Bill, when Rufus is teaching at the university, that there are translators on the computers that the students have? Yes. Again, that again, all of technology. They just didn't have it mobile. Hmm. Ed and Chris didn't think of it. (laughs) But they understood each other. That was so one. What was so wonderful is especially uh, Socrates is just funny in this. He's seen as a very comedic character, but he's also, I guess, cooler than Freud. Well, I also love that. Like the first like translated like when Socrates is talking, he's like, you know, like he's saying in ancient Greek. Like like sand through the hourglass, such is the days of our lives. <laughs> oh, here's another question, um, or actually another uh, little fact or whatever. Um, back then, all those buildings weren't ruins. <laughs> back then, they used to live in places that were completely built. It took them until our time for them to become ruins. It's like as if he were teaching... In a ghetto in Detroit. <laughs> but but no, no, he, he was. Socrates wasn't a wealthy man, and the government didn't always like him. He, he probably was teaching the kids who would listen in the rundown part of the Acropolis. But was, was it really, I didn't notice, was it really rundown? I just remember there being columns and statues. Was it, was it in ruins? Yeah, it, was, it, was, it had cracks and it had stuff like that. It was ruins. It wasn't like the great expanses that were Roman capitals. It wasn't. I think given with the budget in this movie, they do a fairly good job of portraying the different time periods. Very true. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, they're able to indicate the Middle Ages with a duck in a box. <laughs> I well, love they were, that. They actually filmed that in Italy at a castle. So they were actually in an actual castle. And oh, cool. I, and also the, the, um, one of the people they had working with them on that stuff was the guy who had worked on uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail to do the costuming. So that oh. they knew that they knew he could do stuff that looked authentic on the cheap. Hmm. Well, I think That's serious, Roy, Roy Forbes Smith or something. Because again, the Wild West town, they used to do a Bill and Ted Wild West uh, stunt show at Universal Studios. Actually, what they did was a Halloween show, and they still are. They've been doing that for fifteen plus years. It's still going on. Cool. It's still, every single year, it's one of the most popular at uh, Halloween Horror Nights in Universal, both in Orlando and Hollywood now they do it. And it's one of the most popular shows they do every year. Everybody looks forward to the Bill and Ted show. That is so cool. I want to see that, because I have a vague recollection of seeing that, but I was never there on a Halloween, so I don't know how I could have. No, it had to have been around Halloween. It used to be on the old old West set, um, then it moved over to the islands, and now it's back on on that, but I don't think it's an old West set anymore. It used to be the Fear Factor set or something. I don't know. 
God. But yeah, that's still that's still going on. That's a, I mean, it's amazing how much Bill and Ted are still loved by people today. And and a lot of the people visiting the website now are young people who are seeing it for the first time. Have you ever that's- got? I'm sure you get a lot of emails from people visiting the site. Is there any email that stands out in particular? Um, not really. I just, it's mostly just the same. It's, it's either people asking a very specific question, usually what's that music they're playing in, in the mall scene, or in the, I mean, people really seem to connect with the music. And apart from oh, the that, music is wonderful. Is they're going to be a third movie. You know? mm. <laughs> but no, I can't think of it because there's been so many there. I mean, this movie has just really touched a lot of people's lives. And, and I still get tons of photos of people dressing as Bill and Ted for Halloween every year. And it's just it's amazing it's still really very much loved that's cool oh uh can we talk oh i want to talk about uh joan of arc oh yes yeah. uh joan oh, of arc talk- yeah, a kid. we haven't talked about the three most important people who who were originally supposed to be dz top oh the three yes the three ended up being seaway bill martha davis and clarence clemens See, I don't like the idea that it would have been ZZ Top. I I like the idea of a of a a strong black central figure, mm-hmm. and the two people, and they're all on floating chairs, which are easily built into the wall. I know the trick. Well, I don't even know if they're on floating chairs. They just seem to be floating in a sitting position. Yeah. I figure it's a suspenser field or something. No, because the chairs are on the wall. If it is, if they're explaining it away as any of those, blah 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 blah. But it is just chairs. In the cartoon, they actually had chairs. And they didn't have chairs in the cartoon. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Like, like, we need to animate a chair under them so that it makes sense. It was like a parka lounge or something. But you know what? I saw ZZ Top as the three men in a tub. And that was interesting. But I can't imagine them mm, so central to the idea that, oh, like, there's these three, well, actually only two have beards. Um, two bearded guys and one non-bearded guy sitting up on floating chairs and then saying be excellent to each other. I, I, I don't see that. But if it I'm had happened, that it you wouldn't that. have seen it any other way. Yeah, very true. And ZZ Top but were featured... I mean, Clarence, they were perfect the way they were. Clarence Clemens and that. Oh. Speaking yeah. of ZZ Top, they were featured in Back to the Future 3 and also contributed a song to the soundtrack of that movie. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, then they had their own alliance with the Back to the Future people. But Jane Weedlin, Go-Go's, Joan of Arc. The guitarist for the Go-Go's. When I was a kid, I didn't know who she was. I just thought she was a hot French chick. But she (laughs) was... No, no, when I was like 10, I had a crush on Joan of Arc in this movie. Absolutely. When she's like praying to God, and then all of a sudden, Bill and Ted are are holding up their arms to her. (laughs) Saying, come with us. Which technically, I was thinking to myself, wait, is she praying... Because she's going off to war, is she praying because she's in jail? Is she? Because I had known who Joan of Arc was, kind of, because she had been burned at the stake. I'm like, what period in her life was? What, where was she at in 1429? Historically, I don't know, but I. But my impression in the movie is that she is going into the cathedral or, or you know, to the altar to pray for to, you know victory in battle. Mm. So I think because she's dressed in her. She's got her sword, and she's dressed in her armor. That it looks like she's about to go into battle. And yet, they don't help her, knowing what's going to happen to her. Neither do they help out Abraham Lincoln. 
No, they're, they're, they're not, not in the really, comic book. They're not. <laughs> or they tried to in the comic book. <laughs> well, they're not really in a position because, like, they're 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 getting these people from history to to pass their exam, not to put right what once went wrong. Right, and the original concept for Bill and Ted was actually that they were going to go into the past and accidentally cause all of the horrible things in the past to have happened. <laughs> Oh no! Wow. Like Dude, I'm telling you, like they were going to cause the Titanic to sink, and <laughs> oh, no. oh my god! Wow! Yeah, that was their original idea. And I can see that that idea would have been funny, but it would have worked maybe more for a sketch than for an entire movie. Right. And for right. Bill so, and yeah, Ted's, yeah, kind of depressing after a while. Sure, yeah, but uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has such a nice, simple, clean plot, and that works in its favor. It. Um, right. The movie goes at a very smooth pace throughout. I don't think it really drags at any point. Yeah, I, right. I can't see a part where it drags. Um, well, actually, going back to, to Joan of Arc, there's a great like once they really get the hang of time travel. There's just a great montage where one after the other uh, set to uh, the whole montage scored to two heads or better than one by Power Tool, and where they're just like you know knocking it out and abducting as many historical figures as they can. And I love it because, you know, we, we, we see all the historical figures' reaction to the time machine arriving until we get to Beethoven, who's deaf. So he is completely ignorant <laughs> to the time machine landing in the parlor where he's performing. And everybody else is wondering what's going on, but he's just there playing at the keyboard. Whereas I like when they get the, uh, Freud, when they get Freud, dude, um, when they get Freud and they rope him. I'm like, yeah, Billy the Kid just lassos him. <laughs> They're just kidnapping at that point. Yeah, they, 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 they lure Genghis Khan into their time machine with a piece of meat. No, or a Twinkie. No, a Twinkie. Yes. Yeah, it's a Twinkie. Like, now, hey, Genghis, dude. Is a Twinkie Genghis Khan? <laughs> here's my problem with that. I have a friend that I went to I went to high school with who is a direct descendant of Genghis Khan, and he <laughs> does look exactly like the actor who played Genghis Khan in this. I don't know if the actor's Al but my friend Al looks. Young. Is that he his name? Uh, he tortured Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon. One of those Lethal Weapon movies. Oh really? Is he Mongolian? Al Leon? I don't know what national. He's definitely Oriental, but I don't know if he's. Because here's the other problem I have with that scene. You talk about the the um, scenery and such being on the cheap. Whatever he's supposed to be in is like a yurt, which is what they lived in, uh, rounded huts, um, <laughs> and it looks really artificial. It looks like they just took a bunch of skins, put them in the... Uh, it looks like a metal frame for the building. It, there's just something off about it, and I just I couldn't get into it. And also, the girls don't look Mongolian. I think they look more... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Genghis Khan expanded out of Mongolia. They could have been from any of the neighboring areas. And he also supposedly had, like, 14,000 wives. And if you look at the DNA, they can all trace their, their DNA to one, an, to one male ancestor, which supposedly is Genghis Khan. This is like a two-second scene. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. I mean, if you want to question anything, the pillows and stuff, I don't know. And then, of course, you have Abraham Lincoln. Uh, candy Graham for Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that's got to be a reference that's lost on a modern audience. Which is funny. In 1863, I would have thought it would have been funnier than the office that he's in writing if it had been on the train while he's writing, because at the time he would have been writing the Gettysburg Address, which he right. gave 
in uh, Pennsylvania, November the nineteenth, eighteen sixty-three. And again, I just—I mean, you're talking, you know, getting on a train for something. And who's going to get the reference unless he's writing on an envelope? That, I would. Although, but Emily they should have done it for you. Yes. <laughs> Well, actually, no, you're right. I mean, it would have been cool, but again, a budget. They, I mean, they really shot this movie on a on a low, low budget. So, mm-hmm. but you couldn't tell by looking at it. Could. You know what I think is well, actually awesome about also having all these historical people stuffed into the box. The thing that I really like about that is then you, number one, fitting that many people in a phone box, which yeah. was kind of a fad back in the day. And then seeing well, back them all... in the 1920s. Yeah, that's what exactly. I was going to say. But then, but then also seeing them crammed with their faces, like, crammed against the glass, which has become the iconic um, photo of the movie. Yeah. Whenever you see, like, a box set or you see, like, a thing, it's always them pressed against the glass. Well, yeah, actually, they, if... did, they did that specifically for Bogus Journey. They actually said that those phone booth scenes were the most miserable things to film. <laughs> I, I can imagine. They had the booth. It was up on this this thing that that bucked, and they're all stuck inside. They said that that was the most horrible part of the shoot. It was just everybody hated that part. <laughs> I do oh. want to mention. And they're supposed to look like they're having a great time, you know, <laughs> time traveling like a roller coaster. Like what? Oh, I like oh, really? I like when Napoleon is blasted on top of the time machine. Initially, he's floating through the time stream. He doesn't seem as upset, or as he does when he's in the water slide for the first time. Well, you know, maybe maybe when he goes to the water slide, maybe he's having flashbacks and he's panicking because he's oh no, I'm going to be dumped in another era again. Oh, that's a good that's a good thought, yeah. But then he begins to enjoy it because it's a water slide. <laughs> Who doesn't enjoy a water slide? Well, I do have a question about the water slide scene. How did Napoleon get into the water park? Because it's established at the bowling nope. alley that he has uh, no money. No, they explained it. Do you want to go ahead and explain to him why, how that happened? Yeah, because the, they, the woman pays for 11 kids. Oh, but yeah. But has one of the kids right next to her who's too tiny for the guy to see. Yes. He's right underneath So that kid in basically gets in That's for free. right. And, and that woman it was the director's mother, Stephen Herrick's mother. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, also, the writers make a cameo when, uh, speaking of Napoleon, when Napoleon yeah. eats, what's this thing called, a Ziggy? The Ziggy Piggy Ziggy. ice cream sundae. It, that's cream. all a, I don't know if you if you remember Farrell's ice cream parlors, but that was all a, a, a nod to Farrell's ice cream parlors, but they called it Ziggy Piggy. But the <laughs> Farrell's used to have a thing called the trough, and it was. Uh, if, you, uh, if you ate uh, the whole thing... They would come out with the fire, you know, and they wore the same kind of outfits, and they'd come out and make a big deal about it. Or if it was your birthday, they would do that. So There's something in New York. I, I'm trying to remember where this was. I saw this on Food Network. It's called the Kitchen Sink, and they actually bring it out to you in this big square. like It's almost like a sink, oh. and it's filled with ice cream. <laughs> and if you can finish it all, I think you have four friends who can help you. And I guess the kids were allowed to help them. But Napoleon probably didn't allow the other kids to help with the Ziggy He conquered thing. the ice cream. Yes, he definitely conquered the ice cream. <laughs> yeah, but those waiters were the riders. I love that. And, of course, ice cream was invented around that time, wasn't it, in France? What does he call it in French? What is it? He, he says something when he's talk when they're like, ice cream, you know, a, ice cream. He's a little gosse. I, I think it means, like, food. I don't know. Hmm. But he says lagasse, and I don't speak French, so I don't know exactly what that means. But, but it's interesting putting Napoleon in those 
strange positions, like doing stuff that you wouldn't see a historical person doing. I mean, like having, what a, double that date, so funny? having a double date with Deacon. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> with yeah. With twin girls. <laughs> yeah, and they're all underage, so that's something weird as well. Yeah. Um, and going but then bowling. Also, you then have the historicals doing housework because yeah. Missy won't let them go to the mall without them doing uh, work at the house. Well, they have to help Bill finish his chores before yes. he takes to the mall. And I love Genghis Khan. And they warmed that challenge. That brush? The toilet brush? <laughs> well, you know, that's something I love is that, that all these historical figures have such historical significance and have we sort of believe they have such inherent dignity, but then they get involved in some, some great good-hearted slapstick in this film, whether it's Napoleon in the water slide or failing to bowl or Beethoven washing windows with a spray-on window washer or Genghis Khan cleaning the toilet. It's also funny because it's done in, in fast motion. It's done, it's sped to, up. To the William Tell Overture. Yes. That's right. A rock version. I, I do want to mention... No, it's just the William Tell Overture. Yeah. I do want to say I have about um, ten minutes before I have to leave. Oh, God. And oh, dear. We've, believe it or not, we've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes about Bill and Ted. It's that good a movie, people. Yes. Okay, then Uncle Milkshake, Uncle Milkshake. Sure. Trash can. Remember a trash can. What the hell are you talking about? I want to talk a little... Can we talk just a little bit about the logic of time travel in this movie? Yeah, they take the, the figures, the historical figures of the mall so they can get a handle on 20th century San Dimas. And in the course of that, they all get arrested for various things. <laughs> and so Bill and Ted have to get the historical figures out of prison. So they're able to go back in time before Ted's father, or uh, Bill's, no wait, Ted's father Ted. or Bill's father? Ted's Ted. father loses his keys. They take his keys, put them behind a bush, but they have to remember to do that in the future. They have to remember in the future to do things in the past so that they'll be present in their present, like the keys behind Bush and the 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 timer recorder to distract the father. Oh, and the and trash the, can falls on the head. And the right. trash can. Remember a trash can. And in te and technically speaking, the whole concept is that they're standing there talking about this, and you can deduce the keys are not behind the sign. But the minute they think about it, the keys are behind the sign. Yeah, they're creating causality loops. I love it. Yeah. And they're smart enough to leave a note in perfect timing, knowing their past actions. So they know when to duck. They also travel back in time. I'm guessing in the future they travel back in time and set up a light grid and program a light board on a timer for their big show at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, who and, else would be running the, the lights? And get music for the light show. And pudding snacks for everybody in the audience. Out of a can. <laughs> well, they oh, used to be in a can. can. Pudding snacks. No, why do they have the pudding snacks? Can you answer me that? The pudding snacks actually came up in in earlier in the movie when they were in prehistoric times when they get stranded and they use they the, hand them out the pudding cups. The pudding cups to repair Ted just the machine. happens to have them in his rucksack and he hands them out and says, "Here's a little treat for our medieval pet stop." And but then, how does he have enough for the audience? What, well, the audience doesn't get pudding when you watch the movie, Jason. You can eat pudding. No, they yourself. do. They all have, oh, most pudding. of them have pudding. They have pudding cups. And the little Earlier, pudding spoons. Bill's dad gave them a lot of money to spend at the Circle K. So they might have blown a reason. lot of it on pudding cups. You can only spend okay, maybe, maybe. 
I think that they travel back in time in the future and bring snack packs and somebody Ooh. hands them out. Well, you know what I love though. In a modern movie, if they were, if pudding cups were a key point, like story turn, there would be like a bidding war between the nation's top pudding cup manufacturers to put their pudding cups in the movie. But these are just generic pudding cups. There's no aside from the there's no egregious product placement that just scratches at your eyeballs in this movie. Yes, there's the Circle K, but it but it's an actual setting for an important scene. They're not saying Circle K is awesome. Right. No, you're right. They're, they're in this, they probably could have used the money from some of the product placement, but no, there really isn't any major product. Like, there's much more in, in the second film. Mm. Oh. Even that's not very, very offensive, not like nowadays when it's just like, oh, okay, am I watching a movie or a commercial? <laughs> so, Linda, would you recommend Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Would I recommend it? Yes. No, it's, no, it's a terrible film. Don't <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I, I, you know, I, you really, it's funny because you could, you could see Bogus Journey without seeing Excellent Adventure and vice versa, but I, I mean, you really need to see Excellent Adventure to know what it's all about, and I mean, it's just a treat, I mean, it's one of those movies, if you're just in the mood to sit and have some laughs and just be silly and enjoy something sweet and funny and nice, it's the perfect movie. Uh, Abraham Lincoln? Four score! And seven minutes ago, I, I, of course, I love this movie. Go see it. Watch it now. <laughs> Regardless watch, of when watch, and where you're listening to this podcast. Watch it, watch, it, watch it while listening to this podcast, because technically, we've almost gone the length of the movie. <laughs> we have. <laughs> we could, yeah, it could work as an alternate commentary. Thrasher. <laughs> Uh, I definitely endorse this movie. As I said, it is a it's a fun time travel movie with with no uh, pretensions. It's enjoyable. It it is fun for the whole family. There's no 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 embarrassment. I I adore this movie, and I was so happy because I when I I watched it twice in preparation for this podcast, and I was happy to find it had been about ten years since I'd last seen it. I still enjoyed it. In many cases, for different reasons, but I still enjoyed it, and I still got a thrill watching it. It holds up so well. I agree. When I saw it, I hadn't seen it really since I, I was a, I think in fourth grade or something, and when it was out in video, and I was surprised how well it held up. So uh, be sure to visit Bill and Ted's excellent website. No, that's not the right name, is it? <laughs> Bill and Ted's Bill excellent and Ted. online adventures at billandted.org. It's BillandTed.org. Thanks, Linda, for being on the show. Oh, you're most welcome. And um, be sure to tune in. Next episode, we're going to cover Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. We're going to talk a bit about the animated and live-action TV shows and the possibility of a third Bill and Ted movie. Who knows? So this is uh, Uncle Milkshake. And Linda Kay. Thrasher. And Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of America saying look at his sandals <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs>